This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Well, take your Bibles tonight with me and turn to Revelation chapter 1. We're going to continue our study verse by verse, word for word, as we go through this incredible study. I have spoken seminaries and I have talked to freshmen in different grades in the scriptures. And when I get to a study like this, I feel like that I am teaching in a seminary class because there's no other way to approach this with just simple outline form. You have to really go into depth. I'm trying not to spend as much time with Greek translations and stuff like that because it is an already complicated book. There are some exceptions to that. And I I feel that uh, we will make noteworthy exceptions when we get to those uh, certain places. But really and truly, there is no simple way to teach this book. It's it's complicated, uh, and uh, it requires a lot of attention, a lot of study prep, and then a lot of attention on your part as it goes forth. Because if we're not careful... A lot of the questions that may develop in our mind from one verse to another, we may have already expressed it or explained it in a previous verse. And if we're not focused and taking good notes, uh, it, it becomes like a hamster's wheel. We just, it's hard to connect the dots. And so that's why I strongly encourage you to write some things down. If you have a preference to write in your Bible, in the margin of your Bible, do that, or bring a notepad, whatever works for you, so you can go back during the week and uh, reference it. Tonight, we're going to pick up with verse number four, and it's amazing that we've been in this book for several weeks now, and we're only on the fourth verse, but I pray that it has been a blessing to you. So we're going to look at Revelation chapter one and verse number four here in just a few moments. So I want you to look with me now in this verse. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to give you some explanation on it. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. All right, that's a powerful verse, and there's a lot of things that this verse contains. But the very first thing that I want to call your attention to is the very first word in verse number four, and that's a personal word, a personal name, John. Now, as I study this book, and I have done so before and years gone by a couple of times. One thing that I made special notations of, and that is this five times in this book, John says his name. He calls his name to the forefront of attention. He either says, I, John, or he identifies himself as John. I want to give you those five instances real quick. This is, in fact, when we give you the study from start to finish, you're going to get my study, my, the way that I have, uh, 
referenced it the way that I have uh, taken it into my personal study when I have developed outlines or Sunday school lessons or brought it forth in sermons. Uh, and so um, you you probably, if you study the revelation under other personalities or ministries, you're going to get uh, probably some stuff that we didn't talk about and maybe some stuff we do, and then maybe some brand new things that you haven't even noticed before. But in this particular study uh, on my watch, I want to bring to your attention the five instances where John emphasized that it was him. And there was a reason for that. He wanted to clearly identify himself as the one that was bringing us the message. You have to remember that in last week's lesson, Daniel, the prophet, he was ordered and instructed by God to seal up the book, not to write about the things, all of the things which he saw. In fact, the scripture said, seal it up until the end of time, which when it would be made known, and that would be in John's day. And so we're told in Revelation, John, open the book, read it all. Seal not the book. Quite different in Daniel's day. But now here, John wants to make it very clear. He certainly identifies himself because this is a book that is going to be published with the force and, and the fury and the judgment, the spirit, uh, and it's going to be blazing a trail, burning like wildfire. And John made it clear that it was him who was putting his penmanship to this. So let me give you this. In John, uh, in Revelation 1, verse number 1, let's go back to read that. Look at this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servant things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent it and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. All right. And so then we go to our present verse, verse number four. Let me read that again. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. All right. Then go to verse number nine. I hope that you will write these down, perhaps, if that's an interest to you. And then the very first words, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos. We'll talk more about that in a minute for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then we find in, in Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 2, the word says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And then in chapter 22 and verse number 8, again, And I, John, saw these things and heard them. So five times all throughout this book, John makes... No mistake about it, he wants us to know that it was him whom the Spirit of the living God was giving this revelation to. All right, now here's the thing. When John wrote the fourth gospel, you know the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When John wrote the fourth gospels, or the fourth gospel, here's the thing. He was surrounded by a company, a host of friends. He records a lot of things that some of the other writers did not, but let me emphasize this. 
As he writes the fourth gospel, he's surrounded by friends. But when he wrote this book, the book of Revelation, he was in exile. He was not surrounded by friends. In fact, he was not surrounded by anybody. He was there entirely by himself. So he identifies himself as the writer. He's writing in solitude. And as the message comes forth, he quickly lets us know that this book is a book of judgment, the wrath and the fury of God. But in this book also, go back to verse number four. I want to emphasize something here in the first part of the verse. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, and then we find this word grace. He says, grace be unto you. Now I want you to look at that because the Holy Spirit is basically declaring to John, giving John the message. He declares that men can have what we do not deserve. And there's a big difference between grace and mercy, but tonight we're talking about this word grace. But not only is John instructed to write in the greeting of grace, but also peace. Now think about this. Here's a man, he's in seclusion. He's on the Isle of Patmos. We've already read the reason he was there for the testimony, the preaching of the word of God. But it's amazing how this revelation begins to unfold to him and when it's a book of judgment and wrath and fury of Almighty God, plagues and all kinds of things that we will soon discover and uncover, the opening compartments of this revelation is coming to us in a very meek and mild way with grace and with peace. When I read this word peace, it reminds me of several scriptures in the New Testament. One I don't have for the media back there, but you might want to reference Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1. The Apostle Paul writes and he says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. I, I don't want to spend a lot of time differentiating tonight the peace of God and peace with God, but they are entirely two different things. You can have peace with God when you are born again, when you enter into God's family, you can you can have peace, being justified by faith, justification. Justification initiates this peace with God. But then when you read the book of Philippians chapter 4, the Bible talks about the peace of God. We can have the peace of God that passeth all understanding. In fact, I would encourage you at some point, if you haven't already, to be really familiar with Philippians chapter 4. Take some time to read that chapter. I give that chapter oftentimes in my counseling sessions in my office, and uh, you would be surprised how uh, much of a spiritual medicine Philippians chapter 4 can be. 
because there are so many things that come into our lives and to our hearts and to our minds that overwhelm us with negativity. Philippians chapter 4 talks about the peace of God, but it also teaches us how to set our affection or our emotions. Think on these things, Paul said, and he gives us an amazing list of things that would take us away from negative thinking and, and negative dwelling. So I would encourage you to be really familiar with Philippians chapter 4. So again, in, in this particular book of Revelation where it is consumed with wrath and fury and judgment, so much judgment, but in the midst of all of that, we find grace and we find peace. Also in verse number four, John says where that peace comes from. So look at it again. Grace be unto you and peace. Look at this. From him. Now, it goes on to explain several things here. And there are many, many, what I have found in my study, there are many salutations in the opening pages of Scripture, you go from one chapter and you will find all kinds of salutations about grace and peace. For example, when Joseph's brothers came into Egypt, Joseph's steward said unto these brothers in Genesis chapter 43 and verse 23, you might want to write this down as a reference because it does play an intricate part in this study. Look at this. This is a salutation. This is what I'm talking about. This is how that it, it intertwines, okay? So he said, the steward said in Genesis 43, 23, peace be unto you, or peace be to you. Fear not your God and the God of your father. This was a salutation. This was one of many times, many ways, that the opening compartments of a chapter are intertwined in a chapter, a salutation of some sort was referenced with peace be unto you. There was another illustration that I thought about I could give you quickly tonight. When, when David sent word by his servants to an individual, his name was Nabal, he said in 1 Samuel chapter 25 and verse number 6, and we'll get that scripture on the screen real quickly for you here in 1 Samuel chapter 25 and verse 6. And thus shall you say to him that liveth in prosperity, look at this, peace be both to thee and peace be to thy house and peace be unto all that thou hast. So I've given you two instances in the Old Testament where the salutation was basically this, peace be unto you. This is the way that they talked. This is the way that they greeted one another. And even to this present day in Israel, you will hear over and over and over the word shalom. You wake up in the morning and people pass you in the sidewalk, they will say shalom. You go into a gift shop, they will say shalom. You go into a restaurant and they will say shalom. The word is, is a frequent word for hello, but most often referenced as peace. So as they reference this word of peace be unto you in the Old Testament, 
They certainly did it in the New Testament as we find here as John writes, but also even into this present day. That is a very common way. Now, I don't think that there has been a greater comparable greeting anywhere in the Scripture ever written by any of the writers of the Bible, over 40, than this one that was written by John, and he writes it to the seven churches that are in Asia. It's important. It's a piece, according to Revelation chapter 1, verse number 4, it's a piece based upon, or it's a grace, uh, a peace based upon the grace of God. It's a peace founded upon the forgiveness of our sins and the reconciliation of our soul unto God. So I want you to keep that in mind. So this greeting that John brings us, something else interesting here, and this is where it gets a little seminary one-on-one, and uh, not only one on one, but one oh one, and you really have to like perk up for this aspect of the breakdown of this particular verse. Because he says this from him, now look at it very carefully, which is, comma, and which was, comma, and which is to come. Now look at this. And from the seven spirits, that's another thing we're going to talk about here in just a minute, seven spirits, which are before his throne, a very interesting passage of scripture. But first, let's go back to the first part of it from him, which is, which was, which is to come. This aspect is a reference to God, which is, which was, which is to come. You're going to see how this all intertwines here in just a minute, but that that's an element in direct reference to God. All right, the seven spirits, and you might say, well, I'm not even familiar with the spirits that are before the throne. I didn't know that there were spirits before the throne. I've never heard any teaching. I've never heard any preaching about spirits, seven spirits being before the throne. Well, we're going to talk about that. I'm going to show you how this plays out how this is a very important part of our study. But the seven spirits before the throne is a reference to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to show you more clarity on that in just a moment. But in verse number five, it leaps to another aspect of what we're talking about because it says, and from Jesus Christ. So we have to go back to verse four again. Grace be unto you and peace. Okay. From him, which is, which was, and which is to come, God the Father, and from the seven spirits, which are before the throne, God the Holy Spirit. And then in verse number five, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. So as as we look at that, that continuation in verse number five and verse number six, I, I don't believe that there is an any more wonderful, meaningful greeting ever recorded anywhere in the word. 
Because John, he's not only talking about the grace and the peace of God, but he's incorporating in this greeting grace, peace, but he's also incorporating uh, the wonderfulness of the Trinity. We as a church, we adhere to the doctrine of the Trinity. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And John makes a big thing about this. He's pushing this forward. You'd be surprised. There are some churches that do not believe uh, in the Holy Spirit. They do not believe in the Trinity. They believe in a working aspect of the Holy Spirit, but they don't believe in the three in one. The scripture's clear, and we'll see that in a few verses to come. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, the, the Holy Spirit. But listen, this we go back here now. In verse number five, and, and we understand that John is giving us a presentation, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But there are more glorious things that he's talking about that connect with grace, that connect with peace, that connect with the Trinity. Now, these are things that you really have to put the shovel in the ground. You really have to turn over some things to see this. But this is something that's just so beautiful. We need to take time to look at it and explore it tonight. Because he said this in verse number five. I will point these things out for you here in just a minute. And I want you to underline them, if you will. And from Jesus Christ, who's the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. Number one, unto him, underline the word that loved us. Underline those words. I'm going to show you three wonderful aspects here. So underline these words that loved us, if you will, just for a minute. And then if you look beside that, not only did he love us, but the word says, and washed us. Underline those words. And then if you go to verse number six, John said, and he brings to our attention, and hath made us. That's significant. I could stand here on Sunday morning and preach a three-point outline on he loved us, he washed us, and he made us. And that's exactly what the word is talking about. Look at this. He loved us is the first one that is mentioned. He loved us before he washed us. That's important. That's imperative. He loved us before he washed us. Now, when we talk about it that way, what is the first scripture that comes to your mind, class? Paul said in Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he loved us before he washed us. Now, think about it. And not only way back then, he was the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. But then Paul said, that he commended his love towards us in the while we were yet sinners. So we think about this aspect, that he loved us. Here's the beauty of what I get out of the study in that part alone, and that is this. He not only loved us on the cross, but he loves us just the same right now. That's beautiful. That's powerful. So John is saying this, okay, number one, he loves us. 
And this is, the, this is the beautiful part of that. Not only did he love us unconditionally on the cross, he loves us in the same way now, but he will love us in this capacity for all eternity. In Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, Paul gives us the great assurance of this. He said, for I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he loved us, first of all. Secondly, I ask you to underline these words, he washed us. This is important. And this is a lesson, this is just a simple Sunday school lesson that every Jehovah's Witness on the planet should get. We cannot wash ourselves. We cannot do it. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot cleanse ourselves. You cannot wash me. I cannot wash you. You cannot save me. I cannot save you. I cannot tell you how many times I've been to the hospital and people have, and, and I don't do this as frequently as, as I used to since COVID and all of these things that have come our way. I have to be very careful. I, I purposely want to make sure that I'm healthy when I stand in this pulpit. And sometimes I don't stand at that door shaking hands when I know we got 15 people out there coughing and sneezing. And you'd be surprised. People come through the line sometimes and shake my hand and... <laughs> And I'm saying to myself, Jesus, help them. Heal them, Lord, heal them. You'd be surprised. I, I'm not kidding. That's the God's honest truth. But, you know, I, I want to make sure when I'm standing at the door, I'm healthy for you. I'm healthy for me. I'm healthy for my family. So there's, I, I have to be very selective in the times that we live. But I can remember the day when I would go and people would say, oh, I got a nephew in the hospital and my cousin's down here and my sister-in-law's down and all this stuff. And I'd go down there to all these places and, and, and I won many of them to the Lord. And I would go into a room, strangers they were still in one way or another, and they'd have four or five family members sitting around talking and uh, this was in the day when it could be done very freely and I would walk into the room and they would say oh there's brother Tony and he saved me three years ago and I know what they mean I, I know what they're trying they don't know how to say it and I get it and but the tr and you know when I'm when I'm in a situation like that it's not my it's not me that would take an opportunity to thrash someone, to browbeat somebody, and to get them back in line with the right terminology. I know what they mean. I know what they're trying to say, but they got it all wrong. Now, I've taken the scriptures and I've opened the Bible and I've led many of them to Christ. I've shown them how to be saved and I've taught them only Christ can save. The truth of the matter is this. I cannot save anybody. I've never saved anybody. But I know a man who can. And I've taken many opportunities to point people in that direction. And so when he washed us, John says, we cannot wash ourselves. And here's the other thing. 
I, and I told you a long time ago, I stopped debating Jehovah's Witness many, many years ago. God convicted me of that, whipped me really good for it. And I don't do it anymore. But every now and then, I think about how cool that was until I'm reminded of what the Lord taught me. But if I was back in that game, this would be the second point I would teach them. That there, we cannot work ourselves into being washed. We cannot wash ourselves and there is absolutely nothing we can do to work ourselves to be washed. I mentioned Sunday, for by grace are we saved through faith, not of works. I remember back in the day, I asked one, who, and we debated often. It, it, it turned out to be a regular thing, and that was part of my sin because I couldn't wait for it long enough. I was drooling for it. But I asked this one one day, I said, okay, you believe that you can work yourself inside the pearly gates? Oh, absolutely. He said, that, why do you think that we're up and down these sidewalks every Saturday morning passing out these watchtowers and this literature? And you know what, folks? When I think about that, when it comes to that, they put us to shame. The Mormons, they ride those 10 speeds all up and down our city blocks. And the Jehovah's Witnesses are out on every Saturday morning. You know, listen, Gail, just the other day, this is Wednesday, probably, probably Saturday or Friday or Saturday, she got a handwritten letter, front and back, handwritten letter, from a Jehovah's Witness from a kingdom hall in Colonial Heights. And part of their escapade or part of their, their journey of works, they, they have to pick people, whether it be in phone books, whether it be in newspapers, what, what, however you make yourself known and however they can get your address, this is part of their what they do. They pick these people and part of their working into heaven is that they have to write letters, random letters to total strangers. They do not know who they are and they have to plead their case. They insert the watchtower and all of this Jehovah's Witness stuff. And, but that's part of their thing that this is what they do. And you know, it, when you think about it, when you think about the level of work that they do for bogus reasons, they're going without Jesus, they're going to die and go to hell. After all of that work, and isn't it amazing? You think about this. What little we do for him who have the truth. You can look outside on random Sunday mornings at this Roman Catholic church across the street over here. I, I don't. I've not studied Roman Catholicism. Uh, we, Danny and I, we just had an aunt to die who was a staunch Roman Catholic in her funeral. Do you know when the funeral is, Danny? I don't know. The one day this week, and I probably will go. <laughs> Did I tell you the last time 
that I went to a Catholic funeral. One of my uncles died, and they asked me, first time a Baptist preacher ever spoke in a Catholic church. And they asked me, they said, we want you to come and speak, priest, but we do not want you to bring a Bible. I said, okay. That's fine. That's fine with me. So I went through all this agreement, and they set me on the front row, and, you know, he's got a big throne back here, and and um, he's got the big Bible, and oh, they do the chants and whatever it is that they do. But he, he, he called me up there to speak. I just stood there, and I said a few words, and I said, out of Revelation, and John said, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, and they're all dropping their jaws. <laughs> and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all. When that service was over with, and they had the lunch in the fellowship hall, those people gathered around me like flies on, well, they just gathered. Their, <laughs> they just gathered all around me. And they said, we've never heard anything like that in our life. They said, we don't have Bibles here. How did you, listen, you, it's amazing. When you study, you know the truth, you preach the truth. You teach the truth. But on any given Sunday, this is where my mind was going here. Just I'm four minutes over. I got to tie it up right here. But you can look out the door. When you go out, have you ever seen all those Catholic people walking around that church? You ever seen that? I'm, I'm telling you, they got three or four hundred, hundred of them doing it. I've never studied Roman Catholicism. I do not know what that is. But like marching around the walls of Jericho, they, they're doing that. I'm talking about elderly people, middle-aged people, I'm down to the young adults and dragging children. I've never seen But you, listen, if you haven't seen it, one of these ushers will point it out to you because it happens almost once a month or once every six weeks or so. It's often. But I thought about that, even compared to that and Jehovah's Witness, so much Stuff that is not true that will not get you into heaven. And we as believers who have the truth, the word of God, isn't it amazing how the people that do not have the truth work themselves to the bone hoping to get in. And we have the blood of Jesus and we just chill. Wow, that's a sermon all in itself. I'm six minutes over here. So let's park here tonight. He loved us. He washed us. And this is, listen, you come back next week for the third one here. And he made us. What did he make us? This is, this is incredible.
Well, it's amazing what we see tonight in Revelation 1, 4, 5, and 6. It's good. Amen. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.